ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The advice is to be careful. The advice is not to assume that text messages or emojis, because they might seem like a more casual form of communication, can't bind you legally. Think twice before you fire off that light-hearted emoji. There could be serious legal consequences. You might be committing securities fraud. You might be defaming someone. You could be guilty of harassment or threatening violence. The just-joking defence is commonly asserted by those who are charged with criminal offences involving emoji, but the defence is typically unsuccessful. And a single emoji could mean you've just locked yourself into a watertight contract. The case has reminded everyone in the business world that if you're using emojis, you might be legally responsible for what they communicate, and so use them well. Smiley face with sunglasses, Damien Carrick with you. This is The Law Report. In a decision that has attracted worldwide attention, a Canadian judge has ruled that a thumbs-up emoji can be just as legally binding as a signature. The judge in the province of Saskatchewan ordered farmer Chris Actor to pay $90,000 Australian for breach of contract after he failed to deliver 86 tonnes of flax to grain buyer Kent Mickleborough. Andrew Rich is the head of National Industrial and Employment Law with Slater and Gordon. So there are two people involved. There's a company by the name of SWT and a fellow representing SWT by the name of Mr. Mickleborough. And on the other side, there's Mr. Actor. Mr. Actor runs and owns a farming company, Actor Land and Cattle. Now, these two companies, SWT and Actor, have had some engagement before Actor buys grain, sorry, SWT buys grain and Actor sells it. Now, Mr. Mickleborough texted all of his clients, including Mr. Actor, advertising a price for flax and the price at which SWT was prepared to enter into contracts for. That then led to a discussion with Mr. Actor about a potential contract, as a result of which uh, Mr. Mickleborough wrote up a contract, including the price and the delivery time that they'd discussed, He signed the contract, he took a photograph of it, and he texted it to Mr Actor. And importantly, when he texted it, he texted it with a message that said, please confirm Flax contract. Now, in response, Mr Actor texted back a thumbs-up emoji. And this case then turned upon what that meant. What's interesting is the initial telephone conversation and then the text back and forth took place in March 2021. The delivery date for the, the 86 tonnes of, uh, of flax was, I think, November. But um, as the year proceeded, the price of flax went up considerably and uh, possibly Chris Actor thought, well, we don't know, but he, he may have thought that he'd get a better deal somewhere else. So come November, he doesn't deliver. And at that point... Kent Mickleborough and his company sue for breach of contract. So what were the arguments in the court? Well, in short, Mr Mickleborough said that he had a history of dealing with Mr Actor and selling him various different types of grain and doing so initially prior to COVID, doing so traditionally, sending written contracts and dealing with him on the telephone. But subsequent to COVID, the evidence was that they had been exchanging text messages so that, for example, there are a couple of examples given where Mr Mickleborough had sent a contract to Mr Actor by a text and Mr Actor had texted back, 
looks good or okay on another occasion. Another occasion he said, yep. And the court found that there was no contest that on those occasions, those curt words, as they called them, were meant to be confirmation of the contract because Mr Actor subsequently followed through and delivered the, the grain consistently with the text messages. So that was the background. On this occasion, Mr Mickleborough said, well, this is what was happening again. He was uh, sending the contract and he received back the emoji and the emoji had the same effect legally as the, as the previous curt words, the looks good, the okay and the yup, to form a binding contract. And Chris Actor had a, a different view that sending the thumbs up emoji, I, I think he argued, was, was simply saying, yeah, I've received your text. Yeah, that's all I'm communicating here. That's right. Now, he said that the terms of the contract were important to him. He hadn't grown the flax that he was agreeing to sell. So, that, as you said before, the exchange was in March. The delivery of the flax was to happen in November. He said he hadn't grown the flax as yet, and the previous contracts were all for grain he already had on hand, and that he was simply sending an emoji back, the thumbtack emoji back, just to indicate he'd received the contract, as you say. And ultimately, the court looked at all the circumstances and reached its view based upon all of the circumstances of the case. So the judge found, yep, there was a binding contract, and I think Judge Keane said, quote, a reasonable bystander, knowing all the background, would come to an objective understanding that the parties had reached a consensus, a meeting of minds, just like they had done on numerous other occasions. That's right. And so the background was important in that case because it demonstrated that there was a a pattern of engagement, I guess, between the parties, not dissimilar from the engagement that occurred on this occasion. The difference being that there was an addition of an emoji. And so there was some question about what the emoji meant. And that was also dealt with in the case. Yeah, well, well, that's really interesting. I think that lawyers for the farmer said, look, this is opening the floodgates. Um, Accepting a thumbs up emoji as indication of an agreement would open up the acceptance of other emojis, including like a fist bump or a handshake. That's right. That's right. That's right. And the court said, look, he understood the argument that was being made there to be really a policy argument. And he he certainly accepted that this case was novel, but he said that um, he didn't think that the court should attempt to stem the tide of technology and common usage, which he said was the new reality in Canada, and that courts needed to be ready to meet the challenge that may arise from the use of emojis and similar sorts of forms of communication. So effectively, the court accepted that it has to move with the times. Now, this decision is now a few weeks old, or the publication of it is a few weeks old. Do we know, has it been appealed? Not to my knowledge, not to my knowledge. So how significant is this ruling, if it is now the law in a a kind of a roughly comparable jurisdiction, uh, Saskatchewan, the province in Canada? It has some relevance in Australia insofar as it may be used here to have some persuasive value. So you, you can imagine lawyers for a party raising it here and saying, look, it's happened in Canada, the court here should adopt the same approach. It's not novel anymore. Because my experience is that um, both anecdotally and in terms of the people that I speak to in the course of my work, that these sort of communications are on the rise and that people are using text message, whether it be emojis or texts, as a way of doing business more and more. So, Andrew Rich, you you are an employment lawyer and I understand that following this decision in Saskatchewan, there have been a lot of conversations in your office and, uh, you know, people calling up with questions about this. What have they been asking and what sort of scenarios are we talking about? Well, I've I've spoken with people uh, particularly who are working on work sites when they're engaged for short periods. So I'm talking about tradies principally and about the the terms upon which they'll be engaged, the length of time for which they'll be engaged, and the 
terms and conditions of their engagement. So when there are contracts sent, similar sorts of arrangements where there are contracts sent and then where there's, there's an ongoing back and forth about those contracts, sometimes involving emojis, sometimes involving text messages and a mixture. And so it's not always quite as clear-cut as in the Canadian case, but there are increasing scenarios, I think, where people, as I said, are engaging in legal discussions, let's say, potentially binding discussions by way of text message and emojis. It also occurs in relation to casual employees particularly and also employees of smaller or medium-sized sort of organisations who don't, well, I guess who are less formal in their communications with their staff or potential staff. And casual employees, it's around the engagements, if, if they're re-engaged after not being engaged for a little while, often that it'll be a, by way of text message uh, and there'll be offers made in that context that employees need to be careful about how they respond so they're not necessarily being bound in circumstances where they don't intend to be. So it's about agreeing to a shift or agreeing to a, a new work arrangement and a new rate of pay? Precisely. So you're having these conversations with clients and with other lawyers. What advice are you giving in light of this Canadian decision? The advice is to be careful. The advice is not to assume that text messages or emojis, because they might seem like a more casual form of communication, can't bind you legally. Really, it's a matter of being on your guard, um, being careful in your communications and not responding before you've thought about what the effect of your response might be. So you're saying avoid using emojis in these sorts of contractual interactions? Think before you text, I think, is the, uh, the idea. I think it's really important to just be aware that these exchanges can bind you. If you're not sure, then, then don't text. So basically, I'm a plumber or an electrician and somebody texts me and says, can you come to my house and do a certain work? And um, I give them a quote, say, I can be there for X number of dollars. And they text back a thumbs up emoji. Is that binding? Does the um, homeowner, are they then bound by, by that as a contract? I think there'd be a good argument that, that, that they might be. I mean, the court would look at all the circumstances, of course, but I think there's certainly a good argument that they might be. And there's nothing, there's nothing in law preventing that exchange from leading to a binding contract. And I think this case demonstrates that the court is prepared to read into those sort of communications which might have previously been seen as being perhaps too informal to, to demonstrate an intention to be legally bound by them. The court's now prepared to read into those um, arrangements an intent to be legally bound. I'm wondering if there's a need for another new emoji, which is like um, <laughs> a contract <laughs> deal done emoji or, or deal sealed. Uh, I think it's not a bad idea, not a bad idea at all. Andrew Rich, Head of National Industrial and Employment Law with Slater & Gordon, thanks so much for speaking to The Law Report. My pleasure. Thanks, Damien. Damien Carrick with you. This is The Law Report. You can follow us on the ABC Listen app. Today, we're looking at the legal consequences of sending an emoji. Law professor Eric Goldman is co-director of the High Tech Law Institute at Santa Clara University in California. He monitors this legal space very closely. He knows of 50 US legal opinions which reference emojis, including a recent New York case called Lightstone and Zinnix. That case is another contracts case. So in that sense, very similar to the Flax case in Canada. However, the parties had not yet reached a point where it was clear what the parties had agreed to. Um, there was still some back and forth negotiations taking place. So when the 
the contracting party in that case used the thumbs up emoji, the court said that in context, it wasn't as obvious that it was a scent the way it was in the uh, in the Canadian case. So there was still in this uh, Lightstone and Zinex case, which I think involved the supply of um, $2.1 million American of uh, personal protective equipment during the pandemic, and, and there was argy-bargy or dispute about, um, about uh, sort of a refund for non-delivery. So there was back and forth negotiation, and it wasn't just sort of a, a simple yes-no proposition. That's correct. And the parties um, hadn't reached a clear understanding the way that they had in the Canadian case. There was some hemming and hawing on the part of the the contracting party. They were still deliberating what they want to do. The other difference is that in the Canadian case, there had been what we call a course of dealing, that the parties had dealt with each other before in a similar manner, and therefore there was some history between the parties that was different from the case in New York. Eric Goldman, fascinating. Are there any other kind of cases or areas of law where where emojis have come to the fore or come before the courts? I did recently post about another emoji case that involved another single emoji. Uh, In that particular case, it was the full moon face emoji, something I don't personally use. But there was a U.S. ruling that suggested that the full moon face emoji in the context it was used could constitute securities fraud. Basically, in the securities context, uh, when people are hyping stocks, they say that the stock is going to go, quote, to the moon. And so using the full moon emoji suggested uh, that the stock that the person was talking about was potentially going to go to the moon, and that was a signal that people should buy it. And so that's another example of an area where a single emoji can cause potentially serious legal consequences, in that case, potentially securities fraud. And did that securities fraud case result in a successful conviction? It's actually a private lawsuit, not a government uh, prosecution. And it got to the point where the plaintiffs can proceed, but we'll have to see if ultimately the plaintiffs can show all the case. So the court said there was enough here to allow the case to proceed. So that case could well be ongoing and, and, and it's been given, if you like, the green light. The emoji uh, can be brought into evidence. Professor Eric Goldman, co-director of the High Tech Law Institute at Santa Clara University in California, thank you. Thank you very much for speaking to The Law Report. My pleasure. I always love talking about emojis. So far, we've been talking about emojis as evidence of a binding agreement. In a number of countries, there have been criminal cases where sending emojis has been ruled to constitute threats or harassment. Deakin University law professor Marilyn McMahon, tell me about some of these cases. There was an interesting prosecution in France some years ago. Yes, a court in France convicted a young man for making a death threat to his ex-girlfriend after he sent her a text message accompanied by a gun emoji. The court concluded that it was clearly evidence of a death threat, um, the gun itself being evidence of the severity of the threat. And the text was part of a long chain of menacing messages, wasn't it? Yeah, as typical in these cases, often the use of emoji just accompanies text, which is itself threatening. So the emoji, if you like, add to or amplify the threat that's made in the text message. And there was also, I think, a New Zealand case, a Facebook message, you are going to get it, uh, was the message with a plain emoji um, at the end of that statement. And this was held to be a threat that he was coming on a plane to attack the recipient. 
there's another example where the emoji really amplified or, if you like, exacerbated the threat because the man was living on the North Island of New Zealand and his partner, or former partner, I should say, was living on the South Island. And the addition of the plane was said to really add to the immediacy of the threat, i.e. that he was going to get on that plane and come and uh, give effect to the threat that he'd uh, issued to her. There was also a very interesting case in South Carolina. Yes. I mean, we know that about one-fifth of online and text messages will just be emoji. There won't be any text. And I think it becomes more complicated then to interpret the meaning of the emoji. That was highlighted in the South Carolina case to which you're referring. Um, There you had two men who were arrested for stalking after they sent their victim a message via Facebook that simply comprised three emoji, a closed fist, a hand pointing to an ambulance. And the court held that that was a clear threat because it was a threat that they would beat the victim, that was the closed fist, so badly that he would be taken, that's the pointing hand, to hospital, indicated by the ambulance. So it was one of those few cases where liability has been, criminal liability has been imposed just on the basis of emoji with no text. And it's not just cases of posts involving direct messages from a, a perpetrator to a victim. There have also been posts often involving quite young people, even high school students, of kind of general posts. Tell me about some of those cases. Yes, violence in a school setting, particularly in the United States, has been a real issue. And I think it's unsurprising, perhaps, that they raise some of the most troubling cases because you've got the immediacy of text messages, online messages, basically combined with the impulsivity of young people. So what we've had is a series of cases involving children as young as 12 who've posted messages online threatening on the face of it, you know, to do mayhem, bombs, stabbings, whatever, at their school. Those messages have often been accompanied by emoji, smiling face, um, or alternatively bombs, knives, and what have you. And the issue has been to interpret whether it is a serious threat that has been uttered by the young person or whether it's, if you like, just letting off steam, it's not intentional, it's, it's if you like, foolish behaviour but not criminal. There was, I think, a case uh, in Virginia where a high school uh, student in her Instagram post had um, the word killing next to a gun emoji, then meet me in the library Tuesday with the emoji gun, the emoji knife and the emoji bomb. So that that was kind of an example of where where a court tried to grapple with that issue. Presumably the defence is, uh, I'm just joking, does that defence fly? Is that often a successful defence? Look, the just joking defence is commonly asserted by those who are charged with criminal offences involving emoji, but the defence is typically unsuccessful. You might recall that, um, you know, there was a case involving LF at her school. She sent a number of threats which on the face of it looked like she was going to bomb or stab people at the school. Now, she was 15 years old, so she included a number of emoji, a smiling face and others. And when she was charged for the behaviour, she argued that it was really joking and that the ironic or humorous nature of it was indicated by the multiple emoji that she included in her messages. Now, the court didn't accept it in that case and the courts have been reluctant, I'd have to say, to accept that defence. They'll take into account the context in which 
it's occurred. So, for example, we've got a number of cases where men who have previously engaged in domestic violence against partners or ex-partners have sent threatening messages accompanied by things like the poking out tongue emoji and argued, oh, it was just ironic, I was just joking, I never meant to threaten her. And in the context of the relationship between the parties, courts have been very reluctant to accept the just-joking defence. Deakin University Law Professor Marilyn McMahon, thank you for speaking to The Law Report. You're welcome, Damien. Moving away from the criminal law, the meaning of an emoji can be a central issue in all sorts of unexpected legal proceedings. Michael Douglas is a defamation law expert based at the University of Western Australia. He also works as a consultant with Perth law firm Bennett. In 2020, an Australian defamation dispute involving an emoji and two Sydney lawyers made news all around the world. It did. So the parties to the case, as you've said, Burroughs and Hooter, they're, they're two Sydney-based lawyers. So Zali Burroughs and Adam Hooter is another Sydney-based lawyer. And so Hooter took to Twitter and shared an article from back in 2019 where a judge suggested that Burroughs should be referred for disciplinary proceedings for a conduct as a lawyer. He shared that on Twitter. Someone replied, what's happened since? And he replied in turn with a zipper face emoji. Now, a zipper face emoji in isolation might not mean anything in particular, but the judge's job in this context is to construe the meaning of what's sued upon in its context from the perspective of an ordinary reasonable person. And I wrote a Judge Gibson in what might have been the first case in the common law world said that when you look at this zipper face emoji, in its context as part of this thread of tweets with other people replying as well, it was capable of conveying the meaning that something sinister is going on. It was capable of of defaming burrows. So just to, to paint a picture for people, a zipped lips emoji is a, a standard round yellow emoji face with a horizontal zip where the mouth would be or should be, and it's a kind of a closed zip. Yeah. And I think in the decision, um, I think that they'd uh, consulted something called Emojipedia, <laughs> and it says that um, a zipped mouth emoji means a secret or stop talking in circumstances where the person impliedly knows the answer but is forbidden or reluctant to answer or to speak. So that was what the meaning, the agreed meaning of, of this emoji was. So, so what did the judge decide in, in this case? The judge was determining a fight over pleadings. In a defamation case, it's your job to identify not only what you say the other side published about you, but it's your job as a plaintiff to identify the meanings or imputations that are conveyed by that publication. And so what the judge was deciding here was whether or not this was even worth going to trial, whether this zipper face emoji was capable of defaming Burroughs. And the judge said it was, which means the case could proceed to trial. It wasn't a a definitive finding that it was definitely defamatory. Rather, it's the judge saying this is capable of being defamatory. And then it goes on. In some circumstances, it's a matter for the jury to determine whether or not it was actually defamatory. Nonetheless, it's still a significant decision. Yes, so a significant interlocutory decision. And interestingly enough, this was back in 2020, and nobody seems to know what's happened with this case, which would what, indicate that it's actually settled? Yeah, probably. I hope it settled. There's many, many 
cases in all sorts of areas of law that never go to trial, the vast, vast majority. Defamation is no different. So perhaps after these little interlocutory fights were resolved by Judge Gibson, the parties decided to put down their weapons and come to sort of amicable agreement. Back in 2020, this decision of Judge Gibson that, yep, the emoji can convey a defamatory meaning and therefore green light to a trial if, if both parties choose to proceed, that attracted a lot of world attention worldwide. How significant was this decision? It was significant, I guess, in that it's another example of a common law court adapting the really settled and old school principles of of law to emerging technology. Mm. I think the plaintiff was arguing that um, the zipped mouth emoji implies that uh, there had been a finding damaging to the plaintiff and it was a disciplinary yeah. finding damaging to the plaintiff, but the defendant was not at liberty to disclose the result and instead must hint at it by posting a newspaper story from the previous year and using the zipped mouth emoji so the reader can guess the rest. In other words, inviting the reader to join the dots. Yes, absolutely. So it's it's a fine-tuned question whether or not that sort of no-comment response can convey meaning that defames a person. It really depends on the circumstances of the particular case. But the broader point here is that just because you're communicating meaning with something other than English text doesn't mean you're avoiding um, defamation risk. It, it could be any form of communication, a picture, um, a song. It, it, any way a human being can communicate meaning can result in um, a potential defamation action in the right circumstances. And what's your advice, Michael Douglas? I mean, sh- should we be using emojis? Because because the meanings are not clear or they'll have different, they can be read differently. I mean, some of us might interpret a thumbs up or a zipped mouth emoji or, or any other kind of emoji, a fist bump or, or something like that, quite differently from, from other people. So do you just go with what the collective understanding is? What do you do? When you ask, what do you do? What the, the court does, their job is to ask, what would the ordinary reasonable person in the position of the audience think? And that's the, the question in, that's answered to determine defamatory meaning or capacity. But as for advice for the broader public, I, I definitely wouldn't say avoid emoji because they're fun. <laughs> but yeah, there's just as much risk with emoji as there there is with any other form of communication. And I think what matters more is is what is being conveyed rather than the, the mode or medium that you're using to convey any particular meaning. It's interesting because this Canadian case attracted a lot of attention around the world and, and as did the Australian case uh, back in 2020. In some ways, it's surprising that it's taken so long for these sorts of disputes to reach the courts. Well, perhaps some of these sorts of disputes might be happening in the background, but they just don't make it all the way through to judgment because, as I said, lots of cases are settled before it gets anywhere near a court. But yeah, I, I guess so. G- given the prominence of alternative forms of communication in um, modern life, you would expect to see more cases of this flavour. But uh, I'm sure these disputes are happening somewhere, but we'll see more in time, just not all at once. Michael Douglas, great talking to you. A defamation law expert based at UWA and also a consultant with uh, Perth law firm Bennett. Thanks very much, Damien. So given the legal risks, should people avoid emojis? I encourage people to use emojis because 
the risk of a legal problem is pretty low in most circumstances, but more importantly, because there are many circumstances in which emojis are actually the best way to express a person's thoughts or feelings. It's more precise than using the words that they might choose as alternatives. So I encourage people to, to speak with as much precision as they can. And sometimes emojis are the best way of doing that. That's something people should embrace. A last thumbs up on emojis from Professor Eric Goldman there. That's all we have time for on The Law Report. A big clap hands emoji to producer Christina Kukolia and to sound engineer Tim Simons. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law.